Amen. Well, he is risen. He is risen indeed. It is the sixth Sunday of Easter, and we are excited to look into the gospel to continue to reflect on what the resurrection means for us and how we witness to that reality in the world. But before we do, I hope you've prepared a text or a message of encouragement to send to someone right now. If you would, take this moment as we transition to the scriptures uh, to send that message of encouragement. This may be the only time they hear a note of encouragement this week. May it be from you that they hear a word of peace. Send out that message. We're going to turn to the Gospel of John this morning. If you would, take your Bibles out with me. We're going to read in a little bit of a different format this morning. We're going to be reading John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. And I'm just going to read a little bit slower because I feel like um, as I was preparing for this text, um, it's, it's one of those texts that we really do need to just be quiet and contemplate what Jesus is saying. Because even though the passage is really short, there's so much that Jesus is kind of setting forth here. So I just want to have my voice bring those words to your ears and let your mind calm and just reflect on these words this morning uh, before I move on and, and preach from this text this morning, I really want uh, the scripture to be the first and primary thing that your mind focuses on today. So let me read John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. Quiet your mind and listen to the words of Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. This companion is the Spirit of truth, the Spirit whom the world can't receive because it neither sees the Spirit nor recognizes the Spirit. You know the Spirit because the Spirit lives with you and will be with you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them loves me. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. This is the gospel of the Lord this morning. Well, I asked at the beginning of service today, when you think, if you had to describe the way the Holy Spirit works, how would you describe it? If you had to contemplate the ways in which the Holy Spirit reveals its character in the world, what things might 
you say. And comparing that to what Jesus just said in the gospel, how does that description of the Holy Spirit uh, compare or fit with what's revealed to us by Christ's words today in John chapter 14? Well, see, I, if you were there for the kids' moment, you heard that I, as a little kid, really thought that the Holy Spirit functioned a lot like my conscience. That my conscience that told me that I should do something or not do something was the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and I shaped that kid's moment for uh, specifically in that way because I really do believe the innocence of our children can teach us something so important. I believe that their hearts are not taken captive so easily by things in the world, things on our screens uh, that, that perhaps we have become accustomed to. They are not as jaded over things. They are not as cynical over things. They have such an innocent purity in their hearts that their conscience isn't yet warped by a lot of things in the world. So it's pretty close to say that when they feel a yes or no, or when they feel something significant, the Holy Spirit is close with them, caring for them, guiding their feelings and their decisions as they grow. It's a beautiful lesson to us, but also a responsibility for those of us who are parents. Because God has placed you parents in the lives of your children as the closest example they will have of Jesus. And so your leadership in ha having them understand their feelings and what to do about it really matters because then they'll learn how the Holy Spirit is speaking to them and how their conscience might differ or mesh with what the Spirit is saying to them. Because now as an adult, I've learned a valuable lesson that my conscience may say one thing and the Holy Spirit may be saying something different. And, and the difference between my conscience going along with the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit being revealed in my conscience is really determined by my closeness with Jesus. You see, if I don't have a close relationship with Jesus, then the Holy Spirit's voice is not going to be recognized by my heart. Just as Jesus says, uh, the Holy Spirit comes into the world, and just as they didn't recognize Jesus, they're not going to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. They're going to actually reject the voice of the Holy Spirit, just as they rejected Christ. And the whole crux and the whole foundation of that statement of rejection is hearts that are unchanged or, or resistant to the ways of God, willfully, willfully resistant to the ways of God, that they're not going to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. They're not going to be guided by the life of Jesus Christ. And so their conscience is going to be directed in different ways 
then the Holy Spirit would have them go. And so as an adult, I've learned that I can't always trust my conscience because my conscience might be directed by something like, I don't know, hunger in the moment, uh, laziness. My conscience may be directed by anxiety. That's a big one for me. Stress, depression. Uh, it, might be, uh, it might be guided by uh, just sheer happiness that I just neglect everything else, all my responsibilities. So if my heart is not close with Jesus, if my heart is not drawing close to the presence of Christ and having that relationship shape my life and, and help me learn how to hear, learn how to think, learn how to feel, then my conscience isn't going to be directed by the Holy Spirit. It's going to be directed by other things. So I've learned that if I really desire my conscience to be directed by the Holy Spirit, I have to cultivate a close relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think one of the biggest questions in our life with Jesus is how do we do that? I think so much ink has been spilled writing about how we draw close to Jesus. What does it look like to cultivate a close relationship with the presence of Christ? We talk about reading our scriptures. We talk about praying. We talk about attending worship in community with each other. We, we talk about reading uh, theology. We talk about practicing theology. We talk about compassionate service to others. And all those avenues are, are good and well-intentioned practices of drawing close to Jesus. But I, I, before we look at those examples in our life, I think it's important for us to ask the how. Just the sheer practical, how do we draw close to Jesus when Jesus isn't physically here? How do we draw close to a Lord that isn't embodied among us like he was with the disciples? Then I think we can better understand. When we answer that question, I think we can better understand how the Holy Spirit works when Christ isn't physically present to draw us into the presence of Jesus. You see, Jesus is saying these words at the Last Supper. He's just washed the disciples' feet. He's sitting across the table after having that first communion with them. And he's just predicted his death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And what a caring person Jesus is by predicting their feelings of abandonment. They're hearing that he's not only going to die on a cross and be buried. They don't really know what to do with that. But after his resurrection that he predicts, he says he's going to ascend into heaven like we heard last week. And so Jesus then predicts that feeling of abandonment from his disciples and says, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. 
This is why we sing, I am a child of God today, because Jesus comes along and says, even though I'm physically ascending into heaven, I am not going to abandon you. I am not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another one, another advocate, another helper to come alongside you. My uh, translation says companion. I'm going to send another companion alongside you. And the Greek word is the word that we translate into advocate most often. One who advocates on our behalf between ourselves and Jesus, who then Jesus advocates between us and God. And there's that relationship of advocacy between the Holy Spirit and Christ our King, and then our King and our God. And it's a beautiful work of companionship. But still that question must be asked. If the advocate comes as the Holy Spirit that we can't feel or touch either, how does that help us draw us closer into the presence of Jesus Christ, who is also not physically present with us? You see, that separation brings a lot of fear for the disciples because they're having to enter into a hostile world. The life after Christ's ascension would mean martyrdom for many, would mean a, a world that's host, hostile to the gospel of Christ, one who that would bring suffering upon them for preaching the good news of Jesus in the world. So that separation from Jesus brings a large sense of fear and abandonment. This is why Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send an advocate, another one in my place. The message of Easter, the message of resurrection is that what I've always said, that life will have the last word and not death. And I think you'd agree with me here. If you don't, let me know. But I think you'd agree with me here that, that because of this message of resurrection, it's important that our religion, our relationship with Jesus is carried out with a living being, a very real life relationship with Jesus Christ. If resurrection is about life having the last word, then our relationship with Jesus Christ has to be one with the living, resurrected Lord. A one that we can encounter in a real and tangible way. That's what we hope for and that's what we desire with our Savior. A real life, tangible, measured relationship Otherwise, it's all about the memory of Jesus that we read in the scriptures. It's the memory of what the church has given to us through the scriptures. But what we're looking for is not just our memory in scripture, not just our reading and inspiration from scripture, but also experiencing the resurrected living Lord in our life. That's what we long for. 
And the Holy Spirit is the source of that presence. The Holy Spirit is promised by Jesus to be the one that makes the living Lord, the living Christ, tangible and present and revealed here and now to us. So if that question is for us, as it is for, for my life in many ways, how do we have this relationship with a real, living, resurrected Lord? Well, that's the sole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to come and make Christ revealed here and now and to allow the presence of Christ to shape our life, to give us peace, to give us understanding and encouragement from the throne of God. It's an incredible gift that the presence of the Holy Spirit brings to our life. It is none other than the presence of our resurrected, living Lord in our lives as the church. You see, coming to faith, building and maturing our faith is a lot like falling in love. You see, you can read books about falling in love. You can watch movies about falling in love. You can hear other people's stories, your parents, your friends, about what it was like for them to fall in love. But until you meet an actual person in the flesh, it's all abstract. You don't know what love is like until it hits you. And then you understand firsthand, okay, I have encountered love. And it is a living, breathing being that I have fallen in love for. Rebecca, I'm looking at you. But until we encounter that living, breathing person, we don't know what love is. It's all abstract. And that's the same way our lives should be with Jesus, that growing in faith and understanding and closeness with God is all abstract until we encounter the resurrected Lord in our lives. And that happens through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals the, the incredible magnitude and the very real presence of Christ Jesus in people's lives. And after that revelation, they can never be the same. That is the starting point of faith, the close, very real encounter with Jesus in our hearts and lives. And so I think that actually encourages us as the church that when we want people to encounter Jesus, this is a sermon to me right now, okay? When we want people to encounter to Jesus, we can't use abstract words. We can't keep it in the abstract, but they need to encounter Christ by the way that we love them. 
They need to encounter Christ by the way that we treat them. We are the hands and feet. We need, they need to encounter Christ by the way we keep the commands of God in the world. They need to encounter Christ by the, the mercy and the justice and the dignity and the value that they receive from people who call themselves Christians, who call themselves disciples in the world. They need to encounter the living, breathing hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the world and the Holy Spirit. Spirit will take over the rest and reveal the resurrected Lord to them. But I think we need to move people from the abstract and the expectations of them encountering Christ needs to be moved from expecting them to encounter this abstract, not physical Lord, but a very real, breathing, embodied life of Christ through our own life. We may be the only example of Christ that someone may ever encounter. So will they encounter an abstract ideas? Will they encounter an abstract faith? Will they encounter only a memory of who Jesus is? Or will they encounter an embodied gospel serving them, loving them, caring for them, bringing mercy, bringing dignity, bringing value to their life? I think so often we fall into the abstract category when we're sharing the gospel as if it's a couple of abstract beliefs when Christ is calling us to be the hands and feet in the world, to wash each other's feet, to serve one another the way that Christ first served us. And the Holy Spirit will take that and run with it, revealing the presence of the resurrected Lord. That's a challenge to me today. I hope it's a challenge for you. As we look at the Holy Spirit, we understand that the Holy Spirit is very similar to Jesus. You see, Jesus says, I'm going to send another advocate in the world, which meant he was also an advocate. He advocated for God in the world and the kingdom of God and how humanity should be cared for and loved. And the Holy Spirit does much the same. The Holy Spirit presents Christ, the Holy Spirit reveals God, the Holy Spirit reveals truth, the Holy Spirit exposes sin and injustice in the world. But there are ways that the Holy Spirit is not like Jesus. And there's ways that Jesus is not like the Holy Spirit. You see, while Jesus lived his life, died for our salvation, rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, even though the Holy Spirit reveals the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is not embodying those events for us. The Holy Spirit didn't die for our sins. The Holy Spirit isn't going to rise from the dead for us. The Holy Spirit reveals those things to us of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is not an incarnate revelation of God in the world. The Holy Spirit works to point us to the full revelation of God in the world through Jesus Christ. So if the Holy Spirit is not pointing to Jesus, then it's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit isn't revealing Christ's life and death and resurrection in a more truthful and profound way, if it's not pointing to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then you can be assured it's not the Holy Spirit. 
So often I feel like we can attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to uh, just a, an emotional experience, perhaps. Or maybe a lofty idea. That's how the Holy Spirit, I feel like the Holy Spirit works for me, is revealing ideas. Or maybe we can get in thinking that the Holy Spirit is, is uh, an experience with the church, but I think so often we don't gauge those ideas, those experiences, those feelings through whether or not it reveals the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in a deeper way and, and compels us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. Because if it doesn't result in that, then it was just a good experience. Then it was just a good feeling. Then it was just a good idea. But if it doesn't result in a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, then we can be sure that maybe we were following something else that still could be good, but wasn't maybe the full revelation of Christ through the Holy Spirit. I think that's a challenge for me to continue to, to learn how to listen for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I may prefer to experience certain things certain ways. I may prefer certain ideas over others. I may prefer certain experiences or encounters with God's people. But I need to learn how to think and how to hear and how to see God at work through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus gives us a challenge in this passage about those who would not receive the Holy Spirit, just like the world. And, and the Gospels use the, the phrase the world a lot. The world rejects Jesus. The world would not accept Jesus. The world does not accept the Holy Spirit. The world will not accept the disciples who carry on the legacy of Christ's resurrection, the gospel of Christ into the world. And what John means by the world here in this text is the world is anyone or anything that wholeheartedly, willfully rejects and resists the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this doesn't mean that the world should be another word for unbelievers or the world should be used for anyone that we don't like or the world that, that should be used for, for anything that we disagree with or that we think is evil. The term the world here is anything that is resistant or willfully rejects the gospel of Christ. Because at the end of the day, we want those who don't believe to come into understanding and knowing Christ Jesus. That's our desire. But unbelievers are not the same thing as those who willfully reject Jesus. Sometimes I think we put the two in the same camp and it is not true. <laughs> Those who are unbelievers may just not believe. It doesn't mean they're willfully rejecting the gospel or willfully resistant to Jesus. But that's the world that John is talking about here. I heard a quote the other day, and I may get it wrong, but it has stuck with me all week long. The quote was, the church has followers 
that God doesn't have. And God has followers the church doesn't have. Wow. Let me say that one more time. The church has followers that God doesn't have. And God has followers that the church doesn't have. I think so often we like these neat, tidy parameters over what we see as the world or non-believers and believers when we realize that God can use anyone, anywhere, at any time from the most least expected person, place, or thing to fulfill the love of God and his mission in the world. And so much, I think we get so tight into our parameters that we start following things that maybe aren't of God and call them of God. And the church may have followers that God doesn't have. God's like, wow, that's great. You have all of those people. They're not following me. I don't know what you're teaching them. And, and God may come along and have followers that the church looks at and says, you're not of God. Like the Samaritan. Or so many others in the Bible that we can look at that God's people said they are not of God. And God's like, want to bet? I am using them to further the kingdom. Catch up. <laughs> so often I feel like the Lord is coming along and saying, church, catch up to the expansive, dynamic, complex ways in which I work in the world. Don't get so stuck in your categories of believers, unbelievers, and the world. Understand that the Holy Spirit is guiding us to see clearly where God's followers are in the world. And we are called to reveal Christ Jesus no matter where we are. If we're with unbelievers, reveal Christ Jesus. If we're with believers, Believers, reveal Christ Jesus. If we're in the world, those who are resistant to Christ, guess what we do? Reveal Christ Jesus. In a non-condemning, non-judgmental, love-giving, forgiveness-spreading, peace-bringing, justice-bringing way. It, it seems pretty simple when it's put that way. No matter where we are, reveal Christ Jesus. Rather than spending so much energy over believing who's in, who's out, who's rejecting, who's accepting, how about we reveal Christ Jesus in the world and draw close to Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us by God. You see, we cannot accept the Spirit if we remain unchanged. A beautiful evidence of the Holy Spirit is when we are open to think, when we are open to receive, when we thirst and desire to grow in the image of Christ Jesus. That is a powerful display of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. When we accept the Spirit, we are no longer alienated from God, but we are drawing close to God. And that's our desire for the world. Even the world that is in complete willful resistance or rejection of God, we don't want them to be alienated from God any longer. And what's so damaging about those categories I just spoke of? 
where we get so we spend so much time wondering who's a believer, who's a non-believer, who's rejecting God, who's accepting God, is that we can keep them locked in those categories and write them off. When our sole desire should be to see this world transformed by Jesus Christ, and so it's, that's why it's so important to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the life, death, and resurrection and have that be our goal in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because when we abandon the Holy Spirit, we are orphans to God. When we abandon the presence and the life of Jesus Christ, we are alienated from God. And that can happen inside and outside the church. And so our desire as believers then should be to draw close to Christ so that we can learn how to hear and see the movement of how Christ is revealed in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit and then go into those places to reveal Christ Jesus in all manner of ways to this world, to be an embodied incarnational presence of Christ to anyone that might encounter us. Because we won't want the world to stay the world. We don't want the world to be orphans either. Just as Christ didn't leave the disciples orphaned, we don't want the world to be orphaned by God either. God is beckoning the world to God's self. And we are hands and feet of that calling, of that beckoning to God's self. We don't want the world to be alienated from God anymore. So our goal then should be that when we ask, what is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? It's a, it's, we look for the work of the life, death, and resurrection in our lives. And then we, we cultivate that. We draw closer to the real tangible presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And then when we ask, how do we do that without the physical presence of Jesus Christ? And we understand that we can do that fully and completely through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then how do we ask, well, how is that at work in the world? We turn around and we look at ourselves in the mirror, church, and we say, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the ones who make that tangible presence of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit for this world. We have been called to be that by our Lord and Savior. Life will have the last word over us. I pray that life is the first word that we speak over other people, no matter where they come from, no matter their background, that we speak Christ's resurrection over them first and foremost. So I want to challenge you this week. What is guiding your conscience? Are you certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that every yes and every no, every guidance that your conscience brings up is shaped by the reality of our risen Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit? I don't think it's too presumptuous to claim that none of us have that perfected, <laughs> that none of us have that fully mastered in our lives. I know some in our congregation are close. I won't name names because Colleen and Louise and Barbara always get embarrassed when I bring up their names, so I'm not going to say who they are. 
Other people have it as well, but I won't name them either. But what's so crucial is that we continue to grow into learning the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How certain are we that our conscience is being directed by the Holy Spirit and not by anything else? And then how do we then turn and see the life and resurrection of Jesus manifested through our work? Because the Holy Spirit is here to guide and shape us in the reality of our resurrected Lord. And so our hope then is that when we draw into the presence of Christ, Christ's presence is drawn out of us into the world. So I want to challenge you that this week to focus on how you are drawing close to Christ, how the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, and then to see how that resurrected, present Lord is being manifested and drawn out of you to others this week. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I pray that you would take my words and use them for your glory. If there's anything that I said that is off base, that is not of you, would your grace supersede them, go before this sermon and touch the hearts of all those who heard this today. Bless this church, Lord God. Bless the churches who are gathering this morning. Bless this world and help us to learn in a deeper, more profound way of how the Holy Spirit is beckoning, calling, and revealing us in you, Lord God. And how the Holy Spirit is beckoning and calling and revealing you in us and in this world. Lord God, we pray for discernment. We pray for boldness. We pray for a, an intentionality that we do not neglect drawing close to you, Lord God. Use us for the glory of your kingdom. May your presence be manifest through us, we pray. You have sent us this advocate. You advocate on our behalf, Lord Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit advocates for us to you and to this world. Help us to join in that advocacy, to advocate for the least among us, to advocate for the most vulnerable, to advocate for those who are, who are recipients of injustice, to advocate for those who have no one to advocate for them, to advocate for those who don't have a voice, to advocate for those who don't have resources, to advocate for those who have never felt love, never felt peace, never felt acceptance, never felt true value in this world. Help us to take the leading of the Holy Spirit who advocates for us in all of our deepest needs and advocate for those in this world, we pray. You have placed such a precious and tremendous calling on the life of your church. Give us the strength and the faithfulness to live into it fully. In Jesus' precious name, through the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we ask these things, and all God's people said,